Chapter 9 of Howard's End. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Fano Jahangiri. Howard's End by E. M. Forster. Chapter 9. Mrs. Wilcox cannot be accused of giving Margaret much information about life and margaret on the other hand has made a fair show of modesty and has pretended to an inexperience that she certainly did not feel she had kept house for over ten years she had entertained almost with distinction she had brought up a charming sister and was bringing up a brother surely if experience is attainable she had attained it Yet the little luncheon party that she gave in Mrs. Wilcox's honor was not a success. The new friend did not blend with the one or two delightful people who had been asked to meet her, and the atmosphere was one of polite bewilderment. Her tastes were simple, her knowledge of culture slight, and she was not interested in the New English Art Club, nor in the dividing line between journalism and literature which was started as a conversational hair. The delightful people darted after it with cries of joy, Margaret leading them, and not till the meal was half over did they realize that the principal guest had taken no part in the chase. There was no common topic. Mrs. Wilcox, whose life had been spent in the service of husband and sons, had little to say to strangers who had never shared it, and whose age was half her own. Clever talk alarmed her and withered her delicate imaginings. It was the social, counterpart of a motor-car, old jerks, and she was a wisp of hay, a flower. Twice she deplored the weather, twice criticized the train service on the Great Northern Railway. They vigorously assented and rushed on, and when she inquired whether there was any news of Helen, her hostess was too much occupied in placing Rothenstein to answer. The question was repeated. I hope that your sister is safe in Germany by now. Margaret checked herself and said, Yes, thank you. I heard on Tuesday. But the demon of vociferation was in her, and the next moment she was off again. Only on Tuesday? For they live right away at Stettin. Did you ever know anyone living at the Stettin? Never, said Mrs. Wilcox gravely, while her neighbor, a young man low down in the education office, began to discuss what people who lived at the Stettin ought to look like. Was there such a thing as Stettinity? Margaret swept on. People at the Stettin drop things into boats out of overhanging warehouses. At least, our cousins do, but aren't particularly rich. The town isn't interesting, except for a cock that rolls its eyes, and the view of the odor, which truly is something special. Oh, Mrs. Wilcox, you would love the odor. The river, or other rivers, there seem to be dozens of them, are intense blue, and the plain they run through an intensest green. Indeed, that sounds like... A most beautiful view, Mrs. Schlegel. So I say, but Helen, who will muddle things, says no. It's like music. The cause of the other is to be like music. It's obliged to remind her of the symphonic poem. The part by the landing stage is in B minor. 
if i remember rightly but lower down things get us cleanly mixed there is a sludgy theme in several keys at once meaning mud-banks and another for the navigable canal and the exit into the baltic is in c-sharp major pianissimo what do the overhanging warehouses make of that asked the man laughing they make a great deal of it replied margaret unexpectedly rushing off on a new track i think it's affectation to compare the odour to music and so do you but the overhanging warehouses of statin take beauty seriously which we don't and the average englishman doesn't and despises all who do now don't say germans have no taste or i shall scream they haven't but but such a tremendous but they take poetry seriously they do take poetry seriously is anything gained by that yes yes the german is always on the lookout for beauty he may miss it through stupidity or misinterpret it but he is always asking beauty to enter his life and i believe that in the end it will come at heidelberg i met a fat veterinary surgeon whose voice broke with sobs as he repeated some mawkish poetry so easy for me to laugh i who never repeat poetry good or bad and cannot remember one fragment of verse to thrill myself with my blood boils well i'm half german so put it down to patriotism when i listen to the tasteful contempt of the average islanders for things teutonic whether they're brooklyn or my veterinary surgeon oh brooklyn they say he strains after beauty he peoples nature with gods too consciously of course Bucklin strains because he wants something beauty and all the other intangible gifts that are floating about the world so his landscapes don't come off and leaders do i'm not sure that i agree do you said he turning to mrs wilcox she replied i think mrs schlegel puts everything splendidly and a chill fell on the conversation oh mrs wilcox say something nicer than that it's such a snob to be told you put things splendidly i do not mean it as a snob your last speech interested me so much generally people do not seem quite to like germany i have long wanted to hear what is said on the other side the other side then you do disagree oh good give us your side i have no side but my husband her voice softened the chill increased has very little faith in the continent and our children have all taken after him on what grounds do they feel that the continent is in bad form mrs wilcox had no idea she paid little attention to grounds she was not intellectual nor even alert and it was odd that all the same she should give the idea of greatness margaret zigzagging with her friends over thought and art was conscious of a personality that transcended their own and dwarfed their activities there was no bitterness in mrs wilcox there was not even criticism she was lovable and no ungracious or uncharitable word had passed her lips yet she and daily life were out of focus one or the other must show blurred and at lunch she seemed more out of focus than usual and nearer the line that divides life from a life that may be of greater importance you will admit though that the continent it seems silly to speak of the continent but really it is all more like itself than any part of it is in england any part of it is like england 
England is unique. Do have another jelly first. I was going to say that the continent, for good or for evil, is interested in ideas. Its literature and art have what one might call the kink of the unseen about them, and this persists even through the cadence and affectation. There is more liberty of action in England, but for liberty of thought, go to bureaucratic Prussia. People will there discuss with humility vital questions that we here think ourselves too good to touch with tongues. I do not want to go to Prussian, said Mrs. Wilcox, not even to see that interesting view that you were describing. And for discussing with humility, I am too old. We never discuss anything at Hogwarts, and... Then you ought to, said Margaret. Discussion keeps a house alive. It cannot stand by bricks and mortar alone. It cannot stand without them, said Mrs. Wilcox, unexpectedly catching on to the thought and rousing for the first and last time a faint hope in the breasts of the delightful people. It cannot stand without them, and I sometimes think, but I cannot expect your generation to agree for even my daughter disagrees with me here. Never mind us or her, do say. I sometimes think that it is wiser to leave action and discussion to men. There was a little silence. One admits that the arguments against the suffrage are extraordinarily strong, said the girl opposite, leaning forward and crumbling her bread. Are they? I never follow any arguments. I am only too thankful not to have a vote myself. We didn't mean the vote, though, did we? supplied Margaret. Aren't we deferring on something much wider? Mrs. Wilcox? Whether women are to remain what they have been since the dawn of history, or whether, since men have moved forward so far, they too may move forward a little now. I say they may. I would even admit a biological change. I don't know, I don't know. I must be getting back to my overhanging warehouse, said the man. They've turned disgracefully strict. Mrs. Wilcox also rose. Oh, but come upstairs for a little, Miss Quested Trace. Do you like McDowell? Do you mind him only having two noises? If you must really go, I see you out. Won't you ever have coffee? They left the dining room, closing the door behind them, and as Mrs. Wilcox buttoned up her jacket, she said, What an interesting life you all lead in London. No, we don't, said Margaret with a sudden revulsion. We lead the lives of gibbering monkeys. Mrs. Wilcox, really, we have something quiet and stable at the bottom. We really have. All my friends have. Don't pretend you enjoyed lunch, for you loathed it, but... Forgive me by coming again alone, or by asking me to you. I am used to young people, said Mrs. Wilcox, and with each word she spoke the outlines of non-things grew deep. I hear a great deal of chatter at home, for we, like you, entertain a great deal. With us it is more sport and politics, but I enjoyed my lunch very much, Mrs. Schlegel. Dear, I'm not pretending, and only wish I could have joined in more. For one thing, I'm not particularly well just today. For another, you younger people move so quickly that it dazes me. Charles is the same, Dolly the same, but we are all in the same boat, old and young. I never forget that. They were silent for a moment, then with a newborn emotion, they shook hands. 
The conversation ceased suddenly when Margaret re-entered the dining room. Her friends had been talking over her new friend and had dismissed her as uninteresting. End of chapter 9 Recording by Farno Jahangir